1992, the wearing of helmets by cyclists became mandatory in all Australian states. The Royal Australasian College of Surgeons had recommended that there was an adoption into Australian law that cyclists needed to wear helmets at all times. The result was a 45% drop in the frequency of head injuries in Australia. Most other countries are yet to introduce mandatory helmet wearing for cyclists. The major effect has been a reduction in serious brain damage. A study in the state of Victoria in Australia revealed that there was a 48% drop in the number of insurance claims for head injuries in 1994. Brain damage is one of the most costly insurance claims for the insurance industry because the cost of supporting the supporters of someone who has had brain damage is lifelong. Awards for compensation can run into the millions of dollars per case as the need to to pay for those people is taken care of. In the United Kingdom, in the case of newborn babies, it's costing the National Health Service, the NHS, £235 million. That's over $300,000, millions of dollars, not thousand, $350 million a year for mistakes made by staff in delivering babies in that country. So what does this have to do with us? Well, if you think about it, uh, it's a good question. What does brain damage and our own uh, mental and physical health have to do with this subject and in particular this sermon. I plan to reveal to you this afternoon or this morning, wherever you're listening to the uh, sermon, the importance of protecting our minds and developing the willpower to overcome the evil that is around us. So let's take for a moment and consider the human brain. The human brain physically and anatomically is no different to any other animal brain. It's made of the same substance, composition, structure, and function. Uh, in fact, there are some brains in insects that have advanced areas of navigation. For example, bees are able to do a little dance in the hive, and the other bees watch it, and they know that so many circles this way means this direction, and so many circles that way means that direction. And so the bees all take off and head off to where the pollen is. Uh, other animals like dolphins and, and migratory birds are able to navigate their way across continents from, in fact, hemispheres, from the north, northern hemisphere right down into the southern hemisphere. So brains are marvelous, but there is something about the human brain that makes the human mind incredible in comparison to the rest of the animal world. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's go there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, we will see what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, because he was a man who understood very clearly the importance of protecting our minds. And what he understood was that there was a distinction and a correlation between the human mind, and the spirit in man, 
and the Spirit of God. Let's see what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to start reading here in verse 11. Paul wrote and said, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And then if we go back to Romans, the book of Romans here, and in chapter 8, we'll understand a little more about the relationship between the spirit in man. By the way, the spirit in man, I can only consider, resides in the very frontal part of the brain, in the, in the frontal lobe. It's the, it's the cognitive part of the brain. You know, the other parts of the brain deal with uh, a functioning of um, uh, muscle you know, use, uh, sight, hearing, um, but the real uh, cognitive part of the brain is right in there in the frontal lobe. And there's every indication when it talks about, you remember, God says, I will write my laws in their hearts and in their minds. Uh, he talks about the fact that uh, the law is to be like a frontlet between your eyes. Uh, there are so many scriptures that give the indication that the spirit in man actually dwells in that part of the brain. And what an amazing thing that you have an interaction between the spiritual and the physical. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't, you can't explain it. But there is something in a human being which gives us, as humans, the capacity to, to think, to laugh, to design, to love, to hate, to um, be able to construct and destroy. Uh, it's just an amazing thing what the human brain and the human mind is capable of. And so when we read here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, we read, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, uh, but you received the spirit of adoption by, which, by whom uh, we cry out, Abba, Father, or as we would say in English, Daddy. The Spirit, look at this here, the Spirit itself, it should be itself, not himself. The Spirit itself, itself bears witness with our spirit, right? That we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What an amazing amazing concept for us to grasp and understand that we as human beings with a human brain which is vitalized and turned into a human mind by the spirit in man that this should also be able to connect with and relate to the spirit of God and when we're baptized and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, there is, as Mr. Armstrong and Dr. Meredith have often pointed out, there is a begettal. It is as, it is as if the sperm, namely the Holy Spirit, impregnates the ova, the egg of our mind. 
And once that begettal has taken place, let me tell you, we become individually responsible for the nurturing and the feeding of that new embryo. And that's why Dr. Meredith always says we must feed on Christ. Daily we must draw down on the instruction and the direction from God's holy word. We must pray to God. We must fast from time to time. We must meditate. We must discuss and talk things over with our husbands, our wives, our children, our friends, people in the church. We must maintain a very positive spiritual and mental frame of mind so that the Spirit of God can act freely and do its great work in us. So that the mind and the Spirit of Jesus Christ can act upon our mind and can put forth and produce the good fruits that come from the Holy Spirit. So a person who's not converted, a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, their spirit in man is still like an unimpregnated egg. You think about it. A woman carries several hundred thousand eggs from the time that she is born. But only, you know, a, a, a reproductive life of 30 to 35 years that a woman has and a monthly um, period, she doesn't really produce too many eggs out of the several hundred thousand that can, could be impregnated. And in a lifetime, she might go through the whole of her life and have no impregnations, no conceptions, or maybe two or three or six or ten, <laughs> depending. But you know, once you and I have received the Holy Spirit, our ovum, our spirit and man is impregnated, and we then have developing in our minds this beautiful embryo that will be born as a son or daughter of God, either at the resurrection or when we're changed in the twinkling of an eye at the return of Christ. So it's a pretty serious matter that we're talking about, and so I've entitled this sermon, Protect Your Mind. Protect Your Mind. Because it's so, it's a, is such a precious part of us. You know, we get into a car and we put the seatbelt on so that we can protect our body in the event of an accident. You know, some people might advocate that we should get into the car, put our seatbelt on, and then put a helmet on as well. Uh, a bit like a race car driver with full harness and, and full uh, crash gear. But, of course, that's not required, and we don't do that. But that's why in Australia they, they brought in the legislation that cyclists should wear, and motorcyclists, of course, they all have to wear helmets because the, um, uh, the number of brain injuries that were occurring was just terrible. And so everyone has benefited from that legislation. So the spirit of man lifts our comprehensive powers above that of animals, just like the spirit of God lifts our comprehension above that of normal humans. We can understand things that normal humans can't. When you try to talk about spiritual matters, 
to your relatives or your friends, you might as well talk to your pet cat or your pet dog. Because so many people who are not called, whose minds have not been opened, cannot comprehend and take in what you know and understand. Now, don't think that you're very wise and, 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 uh, and you're, you're wonderful because of that. It's a miracle that took place in your mind that is not taking place in the minds of those around you. So be very grateful, and to whom much is given, much is required. So we are in a most privileged position, and we should protect our brains and our minds. The ideal, as I said, would be to wear a, a helmet, a crash helmet all the time. But, you know, it's not physical protection that we need more, most of all. It's spiritual protection that God wants us to seek. Do you ask God to give you spiritual protection so that you can um, get through the day with the necessary spiritual power and strength that you need to survive? It's important. Our brains and our minds are the repository of the most precious gift that you have received, the gift of the Holy Spirit, because within it are the very matters of life, of eternal life. And that's why we need to protect it. Most people don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. They think it's a person. But it's actually the mind, the nature, and the essence of God himself. And so that's what makes it so very priceless and so very special. Let's uh, uh, continue here in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we read... Um, uh, verses 14 through to 16. And uh, let's go back to verse 7. Look what, oh, actually verse 6. It says, For to be carnally or humanly minded is life and peace, because the carnal or the natural human mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if we're going to please God, we have to allow God's Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts and in our minds. People in the world continue with minds, as I said, just like an unfertilized over. You know, if you'd like to learn more about this, take the time to read our booklet, Your Ultimate Destiny. This will explain very clearly to you just what the purpose is for mankind and in particular for you. And if you have been doing the Bible study course and you've got as far as Lesson 6, you will have read Lesson 6, Part 4. So if you have that uh, at home, uh, go back and read Lesson 6, Part 4 of the Bible study course, and it will help you as well. Let's turn, if we can, to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, a well-known scripture. Uh, it's really interesting, isn't it, that the word mind carries with it the concept of not just brain power, not just cognitive power, not just computative power, but more than that. The mind is that essential ability for the human brain to think in uh, abstract terms, uh, to um, compose music, uh, to sing music, to uh, um, <laughs> do crosswords. Uh, or Sudoku, or um, um, work out um, 
difficult puzzles. It's, it's an amazing, amazing uh, capacity that we have. And so it says here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ had a mind when he was on this earth that was 100% filled with the Holy Spirit. We should pray regularly that God will give us, or that God will give us the mind of Jesus Christ, that we will think like him, that we will reason like him. You know, he said, love your enemies. Do good to those who spitefully use you. He says, don't, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He says, don't, don't take matters into your own hands. He says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Um, he says to the ministry, he says, um, the, the servant of the Lord must be gentle unto all men and not strive. In other words, in the ministry, we don't argue or debate or get into some, you know, big, uh, you know, verbal fisticuff with people. We're not called upon to do that. If people want to argue and debate, they can go and find someone else. It's not that we are scared to do so, and we we could actually uh, use the scriptures to de- to demolish the arguments of people. And sometimes, in the right way, when it's not a debate or or an argument, a, a minister of Jesus Christ can and will use the scriptures to profoundly prove the will of God. But we need to be aware of the fact that we need to have the mind of Christ. Now, if we are interested in God putting his mind in us, did you realize that there's someone else who is very interested in putting his mind in us as well? And you've guessed who I'm talking about. It's Satan, the devil. He is just as interested in your mind as God is. He wants to confuse you. He wants to, for you to compromise your mind. He wants to fill your mind with nonsense and rubbish and filth and degenerate stuff. And so what's happened over the last few years, he's created an entertainment industry that more and more and more deals with the paranormal, that deals with, you know, Hollywood being able to morph things and and, and change things and and, and so many movies these days are, are based on something that happened in the past and someone from the past coming and living their life in someone who's living now. And, and it's all a mixture of time-warped, spirit-warped, frankly, rubbish. You know, I was thinking about it 50 years ago. You know, so many mo- movies that came out, The Sound of Music, was a beautiful story. People flocked to the to the to the cinemas to watch Julie Andrews sing "The Hills Are Alive" with the sound of music. Now people think that's old hat. It's it's corny. It's they're not interested in watching that. They want to watch some ghastly, ghoulish, horror-induced movie. People like to be scared by the movies. It's crazy. God doesn't want us to do that. And so one of the things I will be concentrating on here today is 
how we need to protect our minds spiritually from the world that is around us and to make sure that what we let into our minds is wholesome, pure, and good and to resist and reject those things that will poison our minds spiritually. It's just that important that we protect our minds. So we must be aware of the great reality. Just as God is interested in our minds and our spirit, Satan the devil is just as interested. Look look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> and in verse, we'll start in verse 1. <clears throat> Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, And you... He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We are to be aware that Satan transmits through the air, and that has become even more of a real, real analogy in the light of what you can pick up through the television and the radio and other forms of media, what they now call the Ethernet. And so we, we just simply have to understand and realize that as time has gone by, Satan has become more and more sophisticated and clever in the way that he can get to your mind. And the more that... People in America, in the United States, I should say, in Canada, uh, the United Kingdom and, and other parts of the world, in fact, the whole world, really, the more that we have rejected our belief in God, we have created a vacuum into which Satan and the demonic world have been able to enter. And one of the things I want to concentrate here on during this sermon is how important it is that we as parents are protecting the hearts and the minds of our children because they are vulnerable. And we need to consider that as we go along. So here we have Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Now let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Uh, this is where we're talking about uh, creating a new man with a new mind. And we've heard about uh, putting away lying in verse 25, but now we come to verse 26, and it says, be angry. It's not wrong to be angry. As long as you're not angry at people, you can be angry at evil and sin and, and everything that's wicked. It's all right to be angry, but do not sin. It says, be angry and do not sin. Then it says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And you can see how these two are linked. And the reason they're linked is that when a person loses their temper, they get angry and, and get out of control, they leave themselves wide open to demonic influence. So if you've got a temper problem, if you've got an anger problem, let me tell you, you need to overcome it because you are at risk. 
And you need to do an anger management course. You need to talk to your minister. You need to take drastic action to deal with your anger. Think about it. Consider it. Take it seriously. Because it says here very clearly, let me read, nor give place to the devil. In fact, I've got a marginal reference here on verse 27. Let me see if I can just uh, find that here. Aha! It says, neither give an opportunity to the devil. And that's what you're doing if you get into anger. Let's have a look now at chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle. This is in our daily activities. You know when you're having trouble with the boss at work or your next-door neighbor and it's, it's not going well? You know, they're upset with you. You get upset with them. You say something, they say something. Then there's a, a Mexican standoff between the two of you. Do you think it's really two people? No, it tells us here what the problem is. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says says for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age you know satan and his demons are waiting and watching to see what our relations are like with other people and when they're harmonious and cordial and respectful and loving they can't get their nasty little teeth in But when they see people who are in a root of bitterness or are envious or are angry or hateful or spiteful or nasty, ha, then they can inject their poison. They can magnify in the minds of that person the hatred they have for the other person to the point where, as you know and I know, people end up killing each other. You know, it's a very, very serious thing. And we need to be aware that there is a spirit world. You know, we can't see it. You can't taste it. But it is real. You know, and sometimes we in the ministry have to deal with demons. We have to cast them out. And thankfully, God has given us that authority and that power. And... uh, not every minister has had that experience, uh, and we don't want people to, to have that experience. But if needs be, God has entrusted to his faithful, loyal ministers the power to cast out demons. But let's do our part to protect our minds, and in particular, our children's minds, so that we don't have to even think about and deal with these things. notice what it says in verse 14 it says stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and look at this above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. God gives us a helmet. Now, not a cyclist's helmet, not even a, a race car driver's 
helmet. He gives us a solid steel helmet, one that we can wear into battle and that the fiery darts of Satan cannot get through. And what was it? It was the helmet of salvation. Now, salvation is our hope that we have through our Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is our salvation. He is our Savior. And so we need to be ready to use the power that God has given to us with the armor that God has provided. So when we allow anger, lust, pride, and envy to enter into our minds, we are in danger of allowing the author of those spirits into our thinking. You know, envy is a, it's a destructive force. I hope you are not suffering from envy at this time. Are any of you there envious of your sister or your brother? Are you envious of someone at work who just got a promotion and you thought you should have got it? Are you envious of a man that was just ordained as a deacon or an elder and you thought, well, how come they overlooked me? Wasn't it obvious that they should have ordained me? Please, please, please humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and don't be envious of other people. Let God be the one that blesses you and also blesses others. Be happy for others' promotion. Don't try and take what belongs to someone else because Book of Proverbs says envy is as rottenness to the bones. So it sounds awfully like bone cancer to me. You know, you, when we allow those spiritual weaknesses and those spiritual traits of Satan to enter into us of anger and pride and hatred and, and, and spite and all those things, they'll destroy us. Won't destroy the other person. Those things will destroy us. So replace them with good. You know, one of the most amazing things, if you've got someone who you don't like very much at this, at this time, you know what the Bible tells us, tells us to do? Pray for them. Pray that and ask God to bless them. Ask God to give them wonderful gifts. Uh, ask God to pour out his love and kindness on them. <laughs> you'll find there's an amazing effect. You will change. And God can deal with them. But the blessing is that your mind will change. It's a miraculous thing that happens when we pray for those who despise us and spitefully use us. So do that if that's one of the problems that you have at this time. You know, God, thankfully, has pre-wired us as human beings to have a strong will to resist Satan and his cunning tricks, as well as those of other people who try to persuade us. But when we give in to human passions, we leave ourselves open to Satan's wavelength. And so it is that I want to spend a little time here talking to parents of teenagers. Let me explain what happens. When... When you have a little child, the mind is beautiful. It's, it's simple, it's naive, it's innocent. 
and you watch your little four and five year old play and it's you know they look up at you with a sweet smile and run over and give you a kiss on the cheek and say i love you mummy <laughs> it's beautiful you know you can't you just your heart melts when that happens and then of course they get to about eight and nine years of age and you see them started to develop and you can see them there their talents are starting to show. Maybe they're going to do well in music or sport or something else. But then when they hit teenage, something happens. The spirit in man starts to mature in their mind. And it develops a certain amount of independence, as it should. It's not wrong. Don't squash your teenager down and, and try to treat them like a, a five-year-old. You'll just be like just like putting a, a lid on a pressure cooker. Encourage, work with that beautiful mind, that 13-year-old, who might be a bit cheeky at times and you have to, you have to give a little bit of latitude, but you also, you don't let it go too far. You, you, you encourage them and you'll find that uh, as you do that, they respond to you and there's a, a nice sort of uh, toing and froing. My father was a very wise man. He said to me one time when I was about 14, he said, Rod, he said, I'm going to treat you like a 16-year-old. He said, if you can uh, act a little more mature than your age, he said, I'll treat you likewise. But he said, as soon as you revert to foolishness and childishness and, and uh, silly actions and reactions, he says, I will just lower the age that I treat you. I tell you what, it really had a powerful effect on me. I thought... Oh, my dad sees me as being two years older than what I really am. And <laughs> it was, uh, it was a, a very clever thing that he did, and, and he was always very respectful. What, what my dad did was he always engaged me in adult conversation when I was a teenager, and uh, he let me develop my own music uh, you know, uh, choices. Uh, he didn't like them all the time, but... You know, I then actually went through a stage, <laughs> this sounds strange, where I actually started to like the music of his generation. And I would buy records and uh, and bring them home, and uh, and he'd say, oh, that's nice, I remember that one when I was a boy. And I went through the same thing, uh, even with cars. I mean, uh, I, I had a, in the 1960s and 70s, uh, I had an interest in cars of the 20s and 30s. Uh, Maybe I was strange, but anyway, it, it really made for a good bond between my dad and myself. And I never felt that, you know, there was a war between him and me. It was always respectful love and admiration for each other. He asked my opinion. He, he always uh, went out of his way to, to find out what I would like to do. And it was a, now sometimes he had to say, no, listen, Rod, you're just getting out of line and he would pull me back into line and I'm glad he did you know he would correct me he would ground me you know if I was uh, when I was even when I was 14 15 16 years of age if I did something stupid he would correct me and strongly and firmly but I'm so glad he did and he took care of my spiritual and my mental welfare and that's what I'd like to encourage don't let your teenagers just drift off to their bedroom and get onto the computer and stay there for hours and you don't know what they're watching or what they're, or what they're doing. Interact, relate to your children. 
Make sure that you know what's going on in their minds. Keep close to them. Communicate with them and share with them their interests. They really will appreciate it. You know, we had an example uh, of something that happened some time ago that I thought I would share with you. It was a a young person in one of the church areas that uh, I knew about, and he was having trouble at school. Uh, He was being bullied uh, by other children, and at home he didn't feel safe either because his parents were correcting him for the trouble he was having at school. So he didn't feel safe at home, he didn't feel safe at school. What happened? Well, he withdrew into a fantasy world of video games and movies, and his parents didn't know what was happening. Well, unfortunately, the wrong type of spirit enticed him and told him that it was his friend. And actually, that led to demon influence and ultimately demon possession. Now, the good news of the story is that he has been released from that and his parents have learnt an incredible lesson from it and things are going well. But it just bears out that You have to be aware. Listen, please, I'm not trying to scare you all, and I I don't want you to to go away from this sermon and think, oh, Mr. King talked about our teens being demon-possessed. It doesn't happen. Very, very rarely does it happen. But it is the extreme of a whole series series of events that lead up to it. And we as parents have got to protect our children's mind, minds as well as our own. So be aware of what's going on. Be aware that, uh, that when there's depression, when there's alcohol, when there's drugs, uh, and wrong movies and wrong entertainment and horror films or pornography or, or whatever... We are leaving ourselves or leaving our teenagers open to influences that are absolutely wrong. So please, I want to be balanced on this. I don't want you to, you know, go running off and, and, and overreact to what I'm saying. Please. But just be aware that there are factors out there that we need to be careful of. You know, the paranormal is everywhere today. In books, it's in comics. In, you know, I don't read comics, but just occasionally I'm in a newsagent or whatever and I'll be flipping through a, a comic book just to see what kids read these days. And there are all of these weird drawings of super, super beings, super people, you know, Superman, Superwoman, Spider-Man, this, that. Unreal. Ah. Uh, it's just simply changed a great deal. The paranormal is in movies, in video games, and even school textbooks. Harry Potter is not safe. Just be aware of it. Now you might say, oh, there you go, there's Mr. King. He's overreacting again. You know, my kids have read Harry Potter. They've, they're, they're okay. They can handle it. And they probably can, you know? I'm not saying that everyone who watches things or sees things or reads things, is going to be affected the way I just said. But you need to understand that it is not godly. And it's not good for any of us to be involved with these things. So look at what you're doing, what you're reading, what you're looking and watching, and 
think about you know how many movies are they made with revenge and malice and and uh, hatred and uh, and and, you, and we t- tend to take the side you know we someone gets uh, physically hurt or or beaten up and we get angry and so we take the side of the victim and and when the victim starts to take vengeance we say oh yeah go on you get him he deserves it <sighs> doesn't take us long we get involved but that's our mind and there's not much of a distance between fantasy and entertainment and reality you know the the stories come up of mass killings and invariably the person who's responsible has been involved with these sort of things you know they'll be they'll be in the in evidence they'll be they will say well a voice in my head told me to kill these people a voice in my head what's that that's a demon it's not beat around the bush you know, we're not talking psycho babble. We're talking spiritual talk. We're talking about what God says. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. English breakfast. (laughs) Very nice. It's interesting, I gave a sermon recently in where I went through this scripture (laughs) and I asked the audience, I said, does anyone here watch Little House on the Prairie? And one beautiful young lady put her hand up. (laughs) And I said, well, good for you. Because that whole series was based on whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, noble, pure. You know, people don't want to watch those things these days. It's corny. It's old-fashioned. They want to watch, you know, people being torn apart. and. very sad let's have a look at proverbs 4 verse 23 you know what not only do we need to protect our our mind we need to protect our heart which is the seat of our emotions and here in proverbs chapter 4 proverbs 4 and verse 23 it says the following it says Keep your heart and your mind with all diligence. For out of it, that as the heart, the, the, emo- the seat of your emotions, springs the issues of life. Out of it spring the issues of life. And if the heart causes the passions of life to spring out, how do they you know, express themselves? I come through the mind and that's why we have to protect our mind protect our mind is a 24-7 job it takes vigilance to know what is happening in our minds we need to find and seek good counsel you know teenagers please if you're watching and listening to this talk to your mum and dad talk to a friend at church talk to an older 
person than you, someone who's uh, a mentor. If you're 17, 18 years of age, talk to a, a young person, 23, 24, who's just been baptized and who is spiritual in their thinking. Get to know them and talk with them. You know, that's, that's the, the way to move forward. It really is. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. My son, you know, when Solomon uh, was writing this, he was writing to his son. He said, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. So here we have good instruction on how to protect our minds. Now, when we protect our mind, we are exercising something which is also very, very precious. I mentioned before that God has placed within each human being when they're born a certain resilience, a certain strength of will where they can resist that which is evil and wrong. It's a beautiful thing. We call it willpower. And Jesus Christ himself had to exercise that in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 36. Turn with me, if you can, to the book of Matthew. This is, of course, the story where Jesus Christ was right at that very, very critical, difficult period in his life, just before he faced the... uh, you know, the, the Roman uh, lictor and the spitting Roman soldiers. Uh, and he went before his father in prayer in Matthew chapter 26. And he said here in verse 36, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Oh, none of us have ever been through that. None of us have experienced the weight of all the sins of the world upon our shoulders. But our Savior, Jesus Christ, strengthened himself and resolved himself to do what he had to do. And then it says, he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then in verse 42, again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Now you see, brethren, that in a nutshell is what I'm talking about in this sermon. Your will be done. And it's up to us. You see, God can't do it for us. We have to do it ourselves. He can give us the spiritual help, but we have to exercise our will. It's called character. 
It's the ability to say no when you should say no and say yes when you should say yes and do it. And it's hard. It just is not easy. But that's what God has called us to. You know, some years ago, I asked God to help me to guard my mouth and my words. I found what was happening was I'd have a thought come into my mind, and before I had a chance, the words would be out, and I would regret what I had said. So I went to God about it, and I said, God, please help me. And he answered my prayer in a dramatic way. You know, I don't know whether you realize this, but if you go and talk back radio, and you're talking to the, you know, the shock jock, as they call them, uh, on, on radio, and he's talking with you, and you say something, you probably don't realize it, but that whole tape is on a loop, a seven-second loop, so that if someone blasphemes or says something libelous or, or, or does something which will bring the, the radio station you know, into legal problems, they can stop the, the program from going to air because there's a seven-second delay between what is said and then when it comes over the, the airwaves. Well, that's what God did with me. I found that thoughts would come into my mind of what to say and there would be a block. And I would have three, four seconds or so to stop and think, hmm, whether I, I'm not sure whether I should say that. Hmm, is that going to be helpful? Hmm, will I regret having said that? And kept silent. And I have thanked God so many times for that gift. Do you need that gift? Then you ask for it. Ask God to give you the gift of delayed speech. Ask him to put something between the thought and the words. And you will find that it works. You can tell him it works because it worked in me. Hey, by the way... I haven't always done it perfectly. And uh, I still make the same mistakes sometimes. But overall, and most of the time when I'm close to God in prayer and study, he does answer my questions that way and, my, uh, and, and put that in my mind. You know, our mind is like a house with many doors. We are the keepers of the doors. And we must be careful about who and what we let in through the door. Let's go back to Genesis 4, verse 6. This is a very, very early scripture. This is dealing with Cain and Abel and the re relationship between God himself and Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Please turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 4, verses 6 and 7. You know the story, of course, that Adam and Eve... Uh, tasted of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so as a result, Cain was brought up in an environment uh, uh, that was not conducive to godliness. And he became envious of his brother Abel. And that envy and jealousy led to murder. But just before he murdered his brother Abel, God spoke to Cain. And so here in verse 6 of Genesis 4, we read the following. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? <clears throat> and why has your countenance fallen? 
if you do well, you will not you uh, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, look at this, sin lies at the door. Now, why do I bring that scripture up? Well, because your mind is like a house. And there are certain front doors, back doors, side doors, windows, you know, even above you've got, uh, you know, um, dormer windows up here. And you need to put guardians and protective angels at those portals wherever Satan is able to get in. Now, I've, I like to use this analogy where it says here, sin lies at the door. Some of you have probably had a cat or a dog, especially cats, they tend to do it. They'll just hide behind a bush right near the front door. And so you open the front door and whoosh, the cat is in before you know it. You can't even get a chance to, to close the door. That's what sin does. That's what Satan will do. Satan and sin and the, and the demons will lie in wait for you to open the door if you are not careful and on guard. So be careful who you open the door to. Don't let everyone who rings the doorbell, everyone who knocks on the door, don't just say, oh, come on in. Yeah, you need to look through those little spidey holes, you know, spy holes and say, who is it? You know, sometimes just just look through the curtains at the, on, the, on your little side vents of the windows on the door so that you can see who's on the other side. Some people have glass windows in the door so that they can see who's on the other side. So we must rule over sin and let, let it not come into the door of our mind. But, you know what? Let's go to the other end of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Because here we have the exact opposite situation. In Revelation chapter 3 and in verse 20, notice what it says. It says, Behold, this is of course the letter to the Laodiceans, and Jesus Christ is speaking to the Laodiceans, and he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So if there's anyone that we should let in the door, it's Jesus Christ. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Would you like Jesus Christ to be your welcome guest? How would you like him to come every morning for breakfast? Well, if you do, pray in the morning that Jesus Christ will come in and live his life in you. And he will come in and dine with you. Actually, he'll have breakfast. And, and he with me. So here we have two very opposite extremes. Sin, trying to get in the door, and you slam the door shut. And Jesus Christ, ringing the doorbell at the other end of the house, Come on in. Welcome. What can we talk about today? Here's what I need to talk about. Here's what I, where I need your help. But you know what? There are other intruders who will also want to get into your house. And they don't need a door or a window because they've got a little 
cable about that round. It's called a coaxial cable. And it comes through from your uh, TV cable network. Maybe you've got a TV satellite dish that brings the coaxial cable signal in. Maybe you've got an old-fashioned antenna. But whatever it is, your, the television airwaves, television signals come through the air, just like it says Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and your antenna, your cable, your satellite dish will pick up the signal. And that little signal will come through a small cable like that into your room. Or it'll come in via the computer on the internet. So be aware of who is visiting your house. Who is getting into your child's bedroom at the late hours of night when you've already gone to bed and your son or your daughter has got up and they're watching something at 11 o'clock at night that they shouldn't be watching? Please, please. Once again, I'm not trying to overreact. I'm not trying us to, to scare us. I'm just wanting us to think. And just don't be... Don't be naive is what I'm saying. I'm not just talking about your teenagers. I'm talking about, you know, us as well. We as adults, we as baptized Christians, we need to be careful who we let into our house, into our mind. You know, entertainment is no longer a light form of relaxation. It can be a serious world of evil and wrong messages. Forty years ago, boys used to play with Lego and the girls played with their Barbie doll. Huh, what's happened? Now there is an, an absolute smorgasbord of internet and television and books and comics and any number of things that are available to our teenagers. Video games. You know, the video games are very realistic these days. World, uh, in a realistic world of murder and war and sex. Please, you know... Fill your mind, children's minds with good things, pure things, lovely things. Last night I had a, a beautiful dinner uh, at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Jim Meredith. And their daughter, Michelle, played the piano for us. And it was an absolute delight. An absolute delight. At the end of it, we got the hymnal out and we sang the hymns. It was just a wonderful evening, and I would like to encourage you all. Let your children learn to play an instrument. If they're good at sport, encourage them to do well in sport. If they like to do research or study or, you know, if they're interested in astronomy, buy them, a, try and find a second-hand cheap telescope or a microscope or a, just something where your kids can have fun. And learn about God's world and not this wicked, evil, satanic world. I can tell you something. Satan's world is coming to an end. It's almost over. It's almost finished. And so you and I have to be ready for the new world by teaching our children and ourselves the truth of God. So let's be aware of these things. You know, our children's and our teenagers' minds are vulnerable, especially when there's depression, anger, and withdrawing. You know, when you find, if you find your children withdrawing into their bedrooms, that's a danger sign. 
You're going to have to work hard to to coax them, to encourage them, reward them, bring them out, engage them in conversation. If they're getting sick and tired of you always putting them down, always criticizing them, always telling them they're stupid, honestly, if you do that, you are just going to discourage them. And God says in his word, don't provoke your children in that way. Lift them up, encourage them, give them hope, and make them happy. So we need to protect our children's minds as they come to adulthood. You know, it's not just the entertainment that's the problem, it's the environment that our children find themselves in. So I'm going to give you three points here that will help you to look after your own mind as well as your children's minds. First point, make your home a safe place. Let your house be a place that your children want to come home to. Make Just look and find the signals. You know, if, you, if your son or your daughter comes in, you know, through the door after school and says, Hello, Mum, you know things are fine. Hello, Dad, nice to see you home, Dad. <laughs> but if they are in their room and you go in and open the door and it's all in darkness, and you say, Hi, son, how are you? Mmm. Then you, you've got some work to do. You've got some work to do. Secondly, guard what comes into the home through computers and television. I think most of you are aware that you can put a filter on websites for your children. You can lock the computer with child-safe locks from pornography and violence. But, you know, it's just as good to put those locks on for yourself. Look at Romans 12, verse 21. Such a simple statement here, Romans chapter 12, verse 21. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Recently I gave a sermon where I was reading this sermon and I said, you know, we so often think, oh, what I've got to do is to stop doing this or stop doing that. You know, it's not enough to just stop doing something which is wrong. You've actually got to replace it. When you replace what is evil with good, the good negates the evil. Just like an acid will neutralize an alkaline. And so we've got to do that in our lives with our children. Overcome that which is evil with good. And the third point is don't let anger or pride and contention come into your house and mind. I have learned over the years that, that contention and strife and arguing is destructive. You know, if you find yourself in, argument, in arguments with your husband or your wife, you've got to break the cycle. If you're getting angry and frustrated, you need to sit down and honestly examine yourself. Stop the blame game. If you're arguing with your 16-year-old daughter all the time, pray about it, fast about it. Sit down with your, your daughter and say, Sweetheart, I love you dearly. You don't love me. If you love me, you'd let me go out with my boyfriend. <laughs> 
If you don't have teenagers yet, let me tell you, it's you're in for an interesting time. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. You can have great times with your teenagers. They're wonderful. I, we, look, we've just had our summer camp in, in England for the Europeans. We had some there from Holland, Germany, Belgium, France, and England. We had four different languages going on at the same time. I can tell you, we've got a fantastic new group of young people in Europe. They are absolutely switched on to God's way of truth, and we had a wonderful camp. We had, we had a few problems, but the outcome was positive, very positive. And I give great thanks to the parents and the teens themselves. They both are to be commended, both groups, the parents and the teens. Really, really, really so. And so don't let anger and pride and contention come into your house and mind. Proverbs 13.10 says this. Proverbs chapter 13. It says, by pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. You know, if, there's, if there are arguments going on in your home, or arguments going on in your church area, or arguments at work, or arguments anywhere, I can tell you it comes from pride. On both sides. On both sides. So don't let that happen because you won't be protecting your mind. God wants us to build willpower and protect our minds. I find it interesting that willpower is often as as not won't power. (laughs) The power to not do what you shouldn't be doing. But willpower, when we put our lives into God's hands, and we seek his will in our lives just as Jesus Christ did. So let's conclude the sermon here this afternoon or this evening or this morning or whenever you're watching this by reading Psalm 19, verse 14. Psalm 19 and verse 14. It is such a simple statement by, by David here, but so beautiful. <coughs> David is writing at the end of a very beautiful psalm in which he talks about the goodness and the greatness of God. In verse 7 it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You know, David's mind was on God and his law and his way and his truth. David protected his mind. And as a result of his desire to protect his mind, notice what he wrote in the last verse of Psalm 19, verse 14 it is. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer.